0: Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Jody Henke. This podcast is brought to you by Nutrient Ag Solutions, providing agronomic expertise and measurable results. No matter what your plans are with the land, whether to sequester carbon, improve the nutrient density of your crops, or increase profitability on every acre, it all starts with knowing exactly what is in your soil, or more importantly, what's missing. Soil sampling is the way to find out. And joining me today is Craig Marsh, a nutrient agronomist in Nebraska. So the first question is, when should a producer collect soil samples and why?
1: There's really not a bad time to collect data. Obviously, while the crop is growing, you're pretty limited as to how you can access a field, where you can sample, how you can create zones. So the bulk of the sampling we tend to do occurs in the fall directly after harvest timeframe. We try to be as efficient as we can, Jody, so we can get in there and get our data collected prior to ground freezing. And uh, also you have a certain percentage of growers that like to fall apply as well. So obviously it's pretty bottlenecked in there. Probably 80 percent of the soil sampling that we do on an annual basis happens after harvest, prior to first freeze is probably a good way to put it, or ground freezing, that is. Uh, The other 20% generally happens as a spring sample prior to spring planting.
0: And why should they be doing this now?
1: It really comes down to knowing what your resources are for your upcoming growing season. You know, we, we simplify a lot of things when we talk about our soil sampling within nutrient egg solutions or our branch. It's almost like Going to the grocery store or putting your list together without having any clue of what's in your refrigerator is a good way to put it. So if you're not soil sampling and knowing what your resources, what your nutrient levels are on your particular farms and you're just blanket spreading, that's pretty much the same type of concept where you're, you're kind of guessing your way through what that upcoming year's crop's going to need. And also really what each zone in your field is or is not lacking. Kind of just throwing
0: away money, money a lot of people don't have right now.
1: No doubt. It's all about return on investment. And I guess if you can figure out your best method for what your limiting factor really is for each management zone you have in a field, we just feel you can do such a better job of spending that budgeted fertilizer dollar than simply just blanking it or broadcasting it out there without any particular rhyme or reason, unless it's just purely yield removal, which Really, there's better ways to do it. There's just better ways to farm at that point.
0: Craig, there are some producers who apply fertilizers uniformly across the field and those who use a lot of technology to do variable rate fertilizer applications. So is there a difference in how they would approach the way they do soil sampling?
1: If they're going to approach soil sampling, you can always baby step your way into the program. Obviously, no sampling, in our opinion, is is not the way to go. We've had growers rather than just jump straight into intensive precision sampling programs, whether it's grids or management zones, we've had growers that will simply start with composite samples based on GPS points. So at least we can benchmark them from year to year. So, in other words, maybe we'll go in and treat that farm as one bag of soil for the entire fence line, fence line to fence line. But uh, at least we're dropping some GPS points along the way so we can benchmark that as we go. You can at least lay out all your farms on one sheet of paper that way and say what's really lacking and what's not. That, if nothing else, allows you to start diving into the farms in particular that you could make your quickest return on investment by investing more in soil sampling moving forward.
0: Does tillage and crop rotation also make a difference?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, your crop rotation end of it and the yield goals or the attained yields associated with those are going to result in different removal levels. Also, your tillage, your erosion potential, some of that kind of stuff over the years can drastically change the potential for having major issues from a pH perspective within any given farm. They all play a part. It's always good data to have, too, just to simply start dialing in where could be our quickest return on investment if we did invest in a higher level precision sampling program. You know, If you can tackle pH or you can tackle what I'd like to call in your amendments bucket... Those are the ones that seem to have the quickest ROI versus just simply p and K on a year-in and year-out basis.
0: When we come back, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of soil sampling and talking about how it's done. Stay tuned. Are you ready to maximize your operation and profitability? Nutrient Ag Solutions puts you at the forefront of agriculture and all it has to offer. From innovative online tools to the latest products to local expertise, Nutrien Ag Solutions can help you lead the field in 2021. Contact your local crop consultant or learn more at NutrienAgSolutions.com. Craig, let's talk about how soil sampling is done. Where do you collect the samples and how do you collect those samples?
1: It really comes down to what method you're going to go after. Uh, If we look at the bulk of what we do within our branches here in uh, eastern Nebraska, southeast South Dakota, western Iowa, a lot of that falls back on a two and a half acre grid sample program. If you really think about it, just the easiest way to to look at it is lay a checkerboard over the top of any given field where each square on the board is two and a half acres in size, and then we're geo-referencing or GPSing the point within that square that you're taking that sample every single year. Then our software within our Echelon program allows us to patch all of that data back together once each individual zone is then sent off to the lab. Or in other words, each zone gets its own soil bag and then uh, that's all pieced back together into your mapping software later on.
0: Let's talk about the equipment needed to do the samples. Do you go out with a shovel? Or does it require some more sophisticated type of equipment?
1: Yeah, so we do a lot of ours off ATVs with crews of men and women that go out and actually take the soil samples. We also have some machines where we've set up that can automatically either auger or hydraulically take the soil out of the ground at specific depths. So there's there's a lot of different equipment we're using. I think like anything, though, if you think of your current farming operations right now, It requires the machine, in our case, an ATV or a side by side pickup in some cases, uh, but it also requires the GPS equipment to go along with it. Whether you're utilizing a globe based system or whether you're using a, a tablet based system in order to do your GPS points, that's almost as important that you're getting your boundaries and your points geo referenced the right way when you're actually pulling the cores. That way, we can make it something that we can actually learn from as we move forward and something we can benchmark from year to year as we keep retesting as we go down the line. So you
0: know from year to year exactly where you're taking those samples from and you can check and see if there's any changes. Talk about the proper depth. How far down do you take a sample and does it depend on your soil type?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, Most common is gonna be anywhere from a six to an eight inch sample is gonna catch a lot of the, some odd 500,000 samples we've taken as a company on an annual basis. That's going to do your best job to tell you really what that initial plant zone or that plant root zone is going to be able to access. But there's also applications for all the way down to two and even four foot, depending on if you are trying to monitor how your nitrogen use went the past year, how much you could credit for the following season from a nitrogen and sulfur perspective. Uh, And then we also get into a lot of scenarios where manure sources For plant nutrition, we're doing some more deep sampling there too, just to measure movement within that profile too, just from an environmental perspective. But overall, a six to eight inch core can get you an awful lot of information, especially when you've got the right software to patch all that back together later on.
0: How many cores do you take on average?
1: Yeah. So if I get into a zone, let's go back to our two and a half acre grid. So if I pull into a square quarter, 160 acres, pretty common across the Corn Belt, We're going to take that 160-acre field and divide it into 64 individual zones. And then within each zone, you're probably going to take anywhere from 8 to 14 cores in order to fill that sample bag up. Everybody approaches it a little differently. At our branch, we like to stay as tight as we can to that specific point that we've laid within the zone itself. That way, we can make it highly repeatable for whether it's two, three, or four years later when we come back to retest.
0: So do you guys mix the samples up within a group of cores that you take, or are you um, putting the samples in a specific bag for each location?
1: Well, we'll do on all of our intensive programs. So if it's a two and a half acre grid, if I just keep using that as our base example, each point that we lay within there, we will stop at that point. We'll take our eight to 14 cores They'll be mixed up within a bucket and that fills one bag. And that one bag then represents that one management zone. And then we'd move to zone two and do the exact same thing and then zone three, so on and so forth.
0: So where do you send the samples for
1: analysis? Any really uh, reputable lab. There's a lot of them across the, the Midwest. Our branch tends to use Waypoint Analytical for the bulk of our soil samples. We also have clients that prefer Midwest labs as well out of Omaha, but You get in any general area, your labs are going to change based on the geography that they're in, uh, the relationships they've had. There's a, a lot of really good labs out there and a lot of really good locations just based on proximity to where you're trying to actually mail or deliver the samples to.
0: How long does it take usually to get the results back or does it depend on how many they're getting at the time?
1: Yeah, it varies by lab and it varies by test that you're running. Normal rule of thumb, if we... Pull a grid sample on a field today and we get it in the mail or get it to the lab within the next two days based on UPS or physically dropping it off. You're probably looking at somewhere in a four to seven day turnaround, depending on how backlogged the lab can be. It just depends your time of year. There's times in the spring where it can just be two to three days too, just depending on what the workload is for them as well as us.
0: When we come back, we're going to talk about what a soil sample should tell you and what are the options for what it could tell you. Stay tuned. To lead in the field, you need leading information. Nutrient Ag Solutions can provide the insights you need to make smart agronomic and economic decisions for your operation. All of our products and services are designed to increase your profitability. For more information, contact your local crop consultant or learn more at NutrientAgSolutions.com. Craig, when you get your soil sample results back, what should you expect to see on the report and what sorts of options can you ask to have on that report?
1: Your normal report or your, let's call it your base report, is generally going to come back with organic matter, pH, your base levels for phosphorus, potassium, potassium. And then you're also going to generally get base saturation which is more of a valuation on five main nutrients that can tell you how balanced your soil really is from a positively charged nutrient perspective from there generally the labs will offer additional packages to include your micronutrients as well as zinc and sulfur it's really kind of an a la carte thing most of the time with labs as they go forward your base programs are pretty much going to all look the same Uh, It's just more of a la carte how far you want to dive into some of the micronutrients versus the macros that show up on the base tests.
0: I've seen soil testing results before and just to the average person to look at it, it's kind of, whoa, takes a little bit of really diving into. So how does a producer evaluate the results? Where do they start and how should they interpret what it's telling
1: them? It's almost kind of like learning a different language when you first get into it. But it takes a lot of time to really dive into them and start figuring them out. It's almost a deal where you're just trying to step back and and look at it like a patient that you would have if you were, say, what a doctor would do in a hospital. You're trying to figure out what's wrong based on a lot of vital stats that you get back from the tests. So I guess to answer that question, you have two really good options as a grower. First of all, there's a lot of great resources out there to, to give you some basic knowledge around soil testing. A lot of the labs themselves will also offer a lot of baseline values you want to look for when reading your soil test. But the best advice I could give you is find someone you trust, whether that's your local consultant, another crop consultant with another company. If it's if it's another grower that's, that's pretty sharp with this kind of stuff, there's a lot of people out there that have spent time in your local geography that uh, really take soil science pretty seriously. But I'd advise you find a good consultant that wants to actually sit down and dive into the data because the devil's really in the details when it comes to intensive soil sampling and the ROI that you can see back from it if you just spend that dollar correctly based on what those tests tell you.
0: How often do you recommend taking soil samples?
1: If it's an intensive system, like we're doing a, a grid or a zone where we've got a lot of different bags of soil coming off any given individual field, we tend to resample every three to four years, depending on crop rotation. If we've monocropped or let's say continuous corn for multiple years, we tend to shrink that retest period down, try to test more often. If it's your standard, say corn soybean rotation across much of the Midwest, generally then that fourth crop that comes off of it, we always try to make sure we get updated data back behind it. Some of that, Jody too, comes down to what we're trying to fix. If it's a, a scenario where we've been pouring a lot of investment dollars into amending pH, whether that be with lime or gypsum or high rates of ammonium sulfate, some of those will retest sooner as well simply to verify or at least benchmark ourselves that we are spending properly and that we're not bleeding into some of the zones that may not be needing that product, being that some of those can cause some pretty immediate change if you play with really high rates.
0: When a grower starts adding cover crops to the mix. Does that have any influence on how often you should do soil samples? Because cover crops take time to help the soil. How does that play into it?
1: Obviously, we're seeing more and more cover crop use in our geography. Again, I'm in eastern Nebraska, but I'm seeing it in the region even. you know, Our sales division really goes into a big chunk of Iowa and South Dakota as well. And uh, the cover crop end of it, it's more like running a marathon is maybe a better way to put it than a season to season sprint. So even though the investment for the cover crop is hitting one year's financial books for the uh, actual seed and planting of the cover, getting establishment, let's say it's more of a marathon as far as how it's going to change your long-term soil structure, how it's going to change your microbial activity, how it's going to change most importantly, your organic matter. It's kind of a long-term investment. It almost like Compare it to a stock portfolio that you're going to hold on to for five to 10 years versus the day trader opinion of just jumping in and jumping back out. So as far as how we're baselining our sampling back against that, we tend to try to keep it standardized unless we're really getting some excessive cover crop growth. So if you were coming in after, let's say, a wheat crop or an oats crop that came out in July, and now you have a four foot tall cover crop behind it, that's obviously going to be changing things a lot faster than the individual that just harvested his soybeans two weeks ago and now has six inches worth of cover crop growth right now. So some of that just gauges based on how intensive the cover crop growth is based on, are there small grains in the mix? So it kind of comes back to, again, you sample more often, If there's something that's a little more out of the ordinary with the field, no different than if we're resampling more often based on corn on corn versus your normal corn soybean rotation.
0: I imagine tall growing cover crops make it interesting to try to pull the soil samples out too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It,
1: what we do find, and I, I think anyone on our cruise would attest to that, we're kind of dealing with a flash drought over here in eastern Nebraska this year that kind of set in late July and we haven't had much for moisture since then. So needless to say, the top is is kind of powdery out here and hard. So what I will say is those cover crop fields tend to give us more structure and so, yeah, it can get interesting in a season like this from a fire hazard perspective. To be actually out into some of that tall stuff, taking samples, the root structure and the plant growth you've got below ground tends to to lead to pretty good soil cores, or at least fields that I feel it's a little easier on our crews' backs, if nothing else, to get them removed. But, but yeah, it all comes with its own challenges. A
0: lot of places this year in 2020 have had routish type weather. When you have last year's flooding versus this year's drought, should you take soil samples in such extremes from year to year?
1: It definitely plays into it. There are certain nutrients that can be affected differently by overall soil moisture. Now, the first thing you need to remember is, is when you send a, a bag of soil off to any lab, they're going to go through their own protocol as far as air drying that soil before it's eventually ground into a powder and then tested for the nutrients themselves. So there is some standardization as far as once that bag gets to the lab from sample to sample. But what I will say is there's good data out there to show that certain nutrients, take potassium, for instance, tend to show up at lower levels in years where you're abnormally dry than if it was a year where you had sufficient ground moisture or even above average. So there are some things you really need to play into it. Also, the quality of your core goes into a lot of it. I honestly feel that's probably the number one factor we look at when we send our crews out every day this time of year is, are you getting quality cores? Are you getting consistent soil cores? Or is it a deal where you're just getting pure powder in the bag? Or say you go back into last year where you're just getting really just slime in the bag based on how much excessive ground moisture we had coming out of 2019. So A lot of it, I think, still comes back to that. But yeah, there are some things you need to watch out for. Again, I can't stress enough. Find a good agronomist, a good consultant that you trust and uh, work through those issues together because those are the things they're going to know. And they're also the things that you're going to tweak from a recommendation standpoint year to year, knowing what the actual weather pattern was that specific season versus just pulling all of your cores and sending them off to a service that may or may not know your specific area.
0: Craig, any other tips or suggestions that you have?
1: The main thing I can say is an investment into a precision soil sampling program is a high quality investment into your field's return. Again, let's go back to the flash drought we're dealing with here in eastern Nebraska at the tail of the season. Our yield data that we're getting off the combines right now is showing that the fields that had balanced fertility or had already been in a quality soil sampling program that led to a quality fertility plan year in and year out are showing far more yield than the fields where it was just the blankets or a guess method based on what the fertility needed because those fields still have a high amount of variability in them. Because they've never been balanced out. So, in other words, annually, year to year, you're gonna have Mother Nature throw you curveballs. But take us in this scenario this year, I'd much rather have the plant that's just thirsty than the plant that's both hungry and thirsty. And we're finding it that if you can just simply invest, a small amount of money into your soil sampling program. The data you get back off of it is just huge as far as making educated decisions on how to better spend that fertilizer spend.
0: Thanks Craig Marsh for your expertise, to Nutrien Egg Solutions for sponsoring this podcast, and thank you for listening. For successful farming, I'm Jody Hankey.